Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All the people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This is the word of the Lord. Brilliant. Thank you, Claire, very much indeed. Grown-ups, do keep that passage open in front of you, if you would. We've just had the first 11 verses read, but I am going to refer to one or two others. So it's page 725, if you've got one of the Bibles around the pews. I'm also slightly concerned that Steve may have oversold things by talking about um, the exciting challenges that I've got here at the front, but I have got one or two challenges to show you, and I am going to need one or two volunteers if there are any. Um, if not, it's going to be a little bit boring, I'm afraid, so let's hope that there are some. The first one I've got is, is a bowl of water, and uh, if there's someone who'd like to come do a water challenge for me, you're not going to get too wet. Do you want someone from over there, first of all? Come on, Shona. Yeah, come and, come and, come and do a challenge for me. That would be great. Have you got nice big hands, Shona, is my question. Quite big? Yeah. How much water do you reckon you can hold in your hands? Depends on how tight you're. So you've got a technique worked out. What I'm going to do is, if you can't see, by the way, and you want to see, do feel free to move so you can see. I'm saying that to the adults as well as the children, if you want to see what's going on. I want to put a, there's a big bowl of water there. Is it too cold? Just check for me. No. And I've got a measuring jug here, Shona, just to see how much you can know. What do you reckon? Do you reckon you can get it up to the first line with a scoop of water? Or can you get it right to the top, do you reckon? Not with one scoop. Right, let's see how far you can get. I'm going to put the jug right next to it. One nice big scoop of water. How much water can you get into there? Good effort. There's a towel. Dry yourself off. Very good. Should we have a look? That's not bad, actually, is it? I reckon well, it's, it's more than halfway up to 100 millilitres, isn't it? So I reckon we can give that 75. Can we have a round of applause for Shona, please? That's very good, indeed. 
Who, who do we reckon have got the biggest hands in church this morning? Anyone, anyone like to claim that they've got really big hands who would like to have a go at this? If no one else will, then I will do it. But you can't nominate someone else, Maggie. I mean, if you're volunteering, that's fine. But it's no good pointing across the church at someone who you think has got big hands. We're not, we're not, we're not having that. Any, any adult volunteers? Is it going to be me? Shall we see what can be done over here? Hold that for me, will you? Well done. Right. Do you reckon we can get it over the 100 milliliter mark? Oh, it's still got water in it. Okay. Spotted. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Right, okay. Actually, it's, qu- it's, it's quite tricky. I'm not sure I can beat Shona, actually. What do we reckon? Well, that didn't work, did it? I think. <laughs> can you give a round of applause to Shona again, please? Who's definitely won the first challenge. Right, thank you very much, Joel. Right, second one for you. Here we go. Move the water out of the way. It's quite enough of that. Now, this is one that everyone can join in with. Um, do you know what the span of your hand is? I'd like you to hold out your hand like this. Right, that the span of your hand is the distance from your thumb across to your little finger. Right, so it depends on the size of your hand. Right, I would like you to measure your pew with the span of your hand. How many spans of your hand does it take to get along your pew? Now, some of you got smaller pews than others. Can we just see how we can do with this one? See, see if we can work it out. You want to do that one? That would be great. When you've worked it out, put your hand up so I can see that you've done it. I need to leave that there. I've got eight and a half for a for a quite a long pew here in the middle. He's got big hands, obviously. How many? Nineteen, Joel says, for the front pew here. Has anyone taken more than nineteen to get along the pew? What do you reckon, Andy? Twelve and a bit of Andy's hands will get you along one of the, the pews in church. What about someone at the back over there? How many, how many spans has it taken you? I can't hear you, Ro. You've only got, Ro's only got little hands. It's taken about 55, I think, for Ro to get along the pew over there. Neville, 12 at the back there. Nine. Of course, it depends slightly on which pew you're sitting in as well, doesn't it? Fourteen I'm getting over here. How many? 16, all right. One more challenge for you. Who is feeling strong? You feeling, you feeling strong, Luke? Right, come and stand here at the front for me. Again, if you can't see Luke. Now, Luke, the question is, we've got a bucket of soil here. How high do you reckon you can lift that bucket of soil? Do you reckon you can lift it off the ground? Have a try. Hold on to the handle. Right, so can we have a cheer for Luke, please? Look at that. Put it down. Do you reckon you could lift that over your head? With two hands, do you reckon? He's gonna, we don't want to make a mess, do we? Because that would really would be a disaster in church. Or is it a bit too heavy to lift it over your head? It's a bit too heavy, isn't it? It's such a big bucket. Can we give another round of applause? That was a, I did not think anyone would get it that high off the ground. Uh, and if I put it on the scale, because I've got my kitchen scales here as well, and they don't go up all that high, but just to show you what Luke was lifting there, if we put this on the scales, oh, well, we can't measure it because it's too heavy. The scales only go up to eight kilograms. So, Luke, whatever it was, you were lifting more than eight kilos there, which is a pretty good effort. Why am I telling you all of these things? Now, if you've got your Bibles open, have a look at verse 12, which is actually the next verse after the one that we just heard read. Um, It's a verse all about God, the God we've just been singing about. And it says, Who has measured the waters in his hand? 
or with the breadth of his hand, measured off not a pew, but the heavens, the distance between stars. Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Remember, this was written by Isaiah in a hot country. Um, here in England, we might say the, the damp soil of the earth, but it amounts to the same in a bucket. Uh, who has weighed not just one bucket of soil, but the mountains on his scales and the hills in a balance? That is the God who we are here to worship this morning, uh, the God that Isaiah wants to write to us about. And if you want a summary of what Isaiah chapter 40 is all about, he's basically saying to us, in a world where things are really scary sometimes, Isaiah is saying, here is your God. This is who he is. You can trust a God like this. In a world which is broken, where things can be scary, where gas prices are getting higher, where even worse than that, we watch the news and see terrible things happening, there is still a God who we can turn to. And I want to say this chapter is a great place for us to begin our journey through to Easter over the next six weeks. And we're going to have some, some readings from Isaiah in that time. If you've been coming to St. Luke's uh, for a while, you may remember that we've been looking at Isaiah over the last couple of years. We've kept coming back to it. Last year, we looked at the last few chapters. Yeah, and we're going to keep looking at it right through to Easter. You're right. And we're going to have chocolate, aren't we, when we get to Easter? Uh, the last part we looked at was, was, was quite a hard part to look at in lots of ways. Um, lots of judgment was in it, wasn't it? And uh, some people said to me, oh, this is quite hard going. And if you, if you glance back into Isaiah 39, you'll see some of the warnings that are there. Because Isaiah is a book of warning, but it's also a book of promises. That out of, uh, uh, out of judgment and out of warning will come rescue and hope and new life. And in many ways, the big question that Isaiah keeps asking is, well, how is this possible? How can, how can a world which is broken become a world which is all good? How can a people who are often not very faithful become God's holy people? Spoiler alert, the answer is through God's chosen Messiah, his servant. It's a book all about Jesus, and we're going to see that more and more over the next few weeks. And that is why this is a book for us. Um, it is a long passage, isn't it? If you look at Isaiah 40, we've only read the first 11 verses, but I just want to send you away very briefly with two things this morning, whether you're young or old. One of them, Steve's mentioned, and it's comfort. The second is confidence. I think comfort is what everybody needs in the world today, isn't it? But we also need confidence to believe that God really can give us hope. So, first of all, uh, first half of Isaiah chapter 40, the bit we heard read, take comfort, because this is your God. This is what he is like. Uh, as I said, if you just glance back to Isaiah chapter 39, verses 6 and 7, this is what Isaiah said. Hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in the palace and all that all your predecessors have stored up will be carried out to Babylon. Nothing will be left and some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood who will be born to you, will be taken away too. That's about the low point of Isaiah, this terrible warning uh, for the people of Judah. But if that's pretty, pretty stark, look how Isaiah 40 then begins. Comfort, my people, says the Lord. In fact, he says it twice. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, proclaim that her sin has been paid for, her hard service has been completed. 
We started this morning, didn't we, with the things that might make us scared. Think of some of the things that might make a small child cry. And imagine a mother just picking that child up and wrapping the child up in her arms, as many of us will have been wrapped up at some point in our lives, and just saying, it's all right, it's all right, it's over. Well, that's the picture that Isaiah gives us of how God himself gathers up his people. It's what those famous words in verses 3, 4, and 5 are about. You might recognize them because um, they're quoted by John the Baptist, aren't they? And if you know the Messiah, prepare ye the way of the Lord, in the King James Version, uh, is, are very well-known words, aren't they? But they're really important because they tell us that it's God himself who is coming. He's not just sending a messenger. He's coming. And these are verses that point to Christmas and the arrival of Jesus. Um, Verse 5, he's coming to reveal his glory. That's what Jesus did. Uh, And they point us to Easter, his glory revealed as Jesus dies and rises. Verse 8, he's coming to keep his word. Uh, The grass withers and the flowers fail, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And I don't know where the sheep's gone, but he's coming to shepherd his flock as well, isn't he? Verse 11 to tend his flock like a shepherd, to gather the lambs in his arms. And again, that's exactly what Jesus said about himself, isn't it? I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. In all of this, Isaiah is saying to us, whatever the the world is like, whatever you are facing, take comfort. He's the Lord. Comfort my people. Um, He's the word made flesh in the manger at Christmas. He's the man on the cross who will rise from the dead to save you. So take comfort. But secondly, be confident. And the rest of the chapter that we didn't actually hear read, but it's quite important, is where Isaiah's almost answering how people might object to this. Some people might say, well, can your God really do this? Is he strong enough? Can he pull it off? But other people might be saying, not can he do this, but will he do this? Does he actually care for you enough? Look at the mess the world is in. Well, Isaiah answers the first of those questions in verses 12 to 26, if you have a quick glance. Does God have the power to to rescue? And we're told about the water that he measures in his hands, that he can measure the span of the heavens with his hand, the dust of the earth he carries in a basket. He weighs the mountains in the scales. Who can even understand him, Isaiah goes on to ask. Uh, Verse 15, the nations are like a drop in a bucket to him. Verse 18, who can you even compare him to? As he looks down on the earth, verse 22, the people are tiny like grasshoppers. Yes, the Lord has the power to rescue. He has more than enough. And I want to say in a week where, where it's been filled with images of war on our screens, hasn't it, and on our phones for almost all of us. And we started off with what's scary, and for many of us, that's what's scary. Don't miss the significance of verse 23. The Lord brings princes to naught and the rulers of this world to nothing. I don't know what you can tell me about Sennacherib or Marduk Baladan, anybody. I imagine Dick can tell us one or two things. Most of us have probably never heard of those characters. Um, They were the rulers of the superpowers of Isaiah's day in Assyria and Babylon. They were terrifying in what they did to the nations. We've all forgotten them, haven't we? Some of us have never heard of them. They've gone. 
and we could list them, couldn't we? What about the Vikings? Are we scared of the Vikings? The Normans, you know, Henry VIII, list your figure from history. And the rulers of today, as they boast about what they might do, to the Lord they're like grasshoppers who he flicks away with his hand. We mustn't forget that. Now, don't get me wrong, this is not to minimize the, the chaos and the suffering being inflicted by Putin at the moment on the people of Ukraine. A big question for our time is how should we respond? How should our leaders respond to these terrible things? But don't forget the context of what Isaiah says here. You know, he's speaking to a people who he's just said to them, you're going to be conquered in a few years' time. But he's also saying it won't be forever and the Lord will not lose control. Um, these rulers you're scared of, they may be fearful for a time, but their time will be limited. And we have to hold on to that too in a scary world. Speaking of a limited time, I've run out of mine. But the, the last, the second objection that Isaiah mentions is, is the question that some people do ask, which isn't, can God do these things? It's, does he really care enough to do them? And so I just want to finish by reading the last verses of Isaiah 40 to us. Uh, some of them are well-known verses, because I think we need to hear them. Some of us need to hear them because we are struggling with things ourselves, and these are verses which speak to us of the Lord's heart towards his people. Uh, I was speaking to someone this week, about the stress and struggle of coping with illness and pain. And if that is you or someone in your family, these may well be verses for you. But as I spent time in Isaiah 40 this week, I couldn't help but keep thinking of those Christians in Ukraine. Uh, you might have seen pictures on, in various media and social media this week of things like churches gathering in underground stations to praise the Lord. And I, I just couldn't help as I read these words thinking, you know, I'm reading them here in the safety of Thurnby. How must these feel? How must they be an encouragement to those who are gathering in places like Kiev? So I'm going to read to us those last four verses of Isaiah 40. If you want to, just read along in your Bibles, or you might like to close your eyes and just pray for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine as I read them. This is what Isaiah says from verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Amen. <laughs>